Well, uh, it's getting warmer here in Amsterdam. Uh, the weather, pretty fantastic. I'm wearing my um, my VMware Tanzu, and now I can just say Tanzu instead of VMware Tanzu. I'm wearing my Tanzu hoodie here, and this is all that I wore I, on the way to pick my kids up biking to school. I did not wear my gigantic, as I probably have recommended multiple times, from a Patagonia parka, three-piece. Now, as I've noted before, not three-piece. It is a three-option parka, and you may recall, listeners, from my recommendation a year or two ago that... I love the Patagonia brand, uh, but they are cheating when they call it a three sort of configuration thing, because what it is, is you've got the over the overall poncho, I think is what you call it. You know, that kind of goes down to mid thigh. Okay. Would that be the uh, shell or is that the full on? The shell. Yeah. Okay. The shell. Yeah. That's your waterproof shell. Got it. You've got the shell, right? And then you can, you have the, the hoodless Mm -hmm. Patagonia long sleeve zip up puffy jacket. Okay. That's black, right? And you yep. can zip that into it. Like that, right? yep. Very warm. Now, Brandon, whence does the third piece come from? I don't, is it a, like a is it a hood or a vest? Are they doing that kind no, of thing? That's that's actually very clever. There is a hood, okay. on the thing. See, that would be a but, way to cheat a three a three thing in, right? That, that would, but but it, it is the phrase I've been I've been looking for is three and one. Three and one. Now, the okay. reason they call it three and one is that once you zip the two together, uh-huh. you have a third. Oh. Oh, that is sneaky. Oh, which is which is kind yes. of like saying if if I had a yeah. grilled cheese sandwich, I have a three in one meal. Yeah, I've got a top piece of bread, cheese, and a bottom piece of bread. Now, yeah. if I choose to, I, I forget how uh, combinatorial com, combinations and permutations work. But if I choose to, you know, take one piece of toast, mix it with another piece of toast. I mean, I've got all sorts of configurations, but I don't think anyone would really say that a top and bottom grilled cheese sandwich is anything except a one and one. Mm-hmm. Like, but do you so. think there was a, a meeting? There was a whole meeting where like maybe the marketing person, right? Somebody's like, I mean, we got to come up with the Like the slides went out and it's like, name your differentiation. And maybe the person that the, the, perp- the, the person that put the garment together, you know, the yeah, whole thing, the yeah. designer was like, yep, this is a two in one jacket. It's really good. And they were like, Hmm, let's look at that. Let me count. And they're like, hold on, wait a minute. I can wear this three uh, there are three ways i could wear this right yeah two yeah. separate one together i think that's three and the person was like oh. no no that's 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 wrong like it, this is a two-in-one and then there was a whole like well let's go look at gardner <laughs> let's look and see how gardner defines it right and then there was a, a long argument about that and then someone's like well maybe we should look at uh, how rei is selling about what about all of our competitors like arctic they're calling it three and one why aren't we calling it three and one like you see like the whole meeting happening around that is like and at oh. some point, the guy was just like, fine. Or the woman was like, fine. It's a three in one. Let's move on. Oh, no, I think that's exactly what happened, Brandon. I mean, as you're going over that, I was thinking like, you know, we're, we're trying to not go long on this episode. And so I'm going to stop myself off from the, the fantasy play. But I mean, I, I, you know, first of all, so yes, the only thing I want to add is I'm pretty sure part of that meeting was also, uh, you know, making sure that they had cataloged the name of the geese that they got feathers from to put into the jacket, right? Like to make sure that, that Joanne and Jerry are cool. It's very, yeah. I mean, they are very environmental. Well, I mean, I, I've got nothing against it. I pay an absurd amount of money for Patagonia oh. gear when I could just go get like, I can never say Hema, right? I could go get some Hema stuff or like, you know, North Face for like half or a fourth as much. But whatever, you know, it's cool. I, I tell you, if stores, you ever want to feel like truly, I think I don't know if this is quintessential American. Y'all tell me maybe this is like middle age. 
just uh, go to the REI and like just like walk around and like check out the Patagonia, the North Face, whatever. And then immediately on your way home, go to the Costco. Like maybe you got to get something at Costco. Ugh. And then you're like, wait a minute. The Costco jacket, which is like some off brand, or maybe it's a Kirkland, or maybe it's just like one of their, they've done some deal with a designer. And you're like, this is a third. And I think it's the same. You're like, I think it's the same. And then, but then someone will put out the brand is different. You're like, I know, but I just had the other jacket on. It's exact. The puffy jacket is exactly the same. And you're like, well, why? And then, and then you do have the moment. You're like, I'm not paying for the brand. Um, but then maybe you want the brand. Maybe you like Patagonia. Maybe you want the the catalog geese. So, um, do you, do you you remember that time that they had the, at Costco, they had the women's cut thin Patagonia puffy jacket. Okay. That was, this was maybe three years ago. Okay. Yep. Three or four years ago. And I, I think I spent 20 minutes trying on some of those jackets (laughs) to see if they would fit me. Because they were like they were like fifty or a hundred dollars off, oh, like the normal absolutely. price. It was right? it was amazing. Yeah, <sighs> I guess what I'm saying is there's no Costco over here, Brandon. I was I was actually looking. I wanted to get some more. I've only got this one hoodie basically, and I wanted to get some more hoodies. So I went to the old uh, the old Aunt German Amazon because they got they got Amazon Prime now in the Netherlands. Their selection not good, really? as far as I know. So yeah, most everyone buys from Germany, right? Because it's it comes overnight and it's fine and uh is it gilden glidden you know you can get fruit of the loon or like those uh those kind of just big big Uh hoodies but get this they cost like anywhere between 17 and 25 euros a hoodie which is pretty expensive tack on 20 percent yeah that's a little bit yeah that's a lot yeah we don't yeah you need like a target or something you need yeah because because i need i need like three or four hoodies and then i'm good to go Right. Like because the thing the thing with a hoodie and we'll stop uh, Cote's, you know, clothing, Cuisinart buffet here. But the thing with the hoodie that the viewers can see is like you've got an instant scarf. Right. Like I don't really ever put the hood on very much, but you really when you're biking, you want to get this. You want to get this on the back of your neck so that it doesn't get cold when all the drizzle and the uh, the wind gets in there. And you've always got it there. You got layers. This episode is brought to you by StrongDM. Managing access to infrastructure is hard. Databases, servers, web apps, Kubernetes clusters, and they all have different ways of managing access. Meet StrongDM. It's a proxy to manage access to all infrastructure. Need to give the marketing team access to BigQuery and GCP? Done. Does an engineer need access to customer-hosted Windows servers? No problem. DevOps needs to open up an interactive shell on EKS. So easy. And it just works. Admins, you can easily extend your identity provider to infrastructure, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles using Terraform or the API. And your end users love it because there's zero change to workflow. StrongDM is trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi to manage access. Start your free 14-day trial today with no credit card required at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. All right, well, I just have one more clothing question. We'll keep it short, Brandon. Now, now as everyone knows, you grew up in New England, where it's cold. And uh, do do. People always talk about how, you know, the trick is to dress in layers. 
And I, I read one expat interview where they were like, the Dutch must have invented this dressing in layers, which basically means like you don't just wear a jacket. You wear like a T-shirt, a long sleeve shirt. You might wear a sweater or a hoodie. And then you have a jacket on top of that. And, and you can always take away layers or put layers back on. But, you know, like you got to dress in layers so that you can regulate your temperature. And was that like, was that a thing that people were, I'm sure they did it, you know, when you were growing up in your cold climbs. But is that like, is that like a thing people talked about? Or was it just like, that's just what you do and no one talks about it? You know, I think it's were generally you- in, um, so I, I guess I'll give you a longer answer here. It's, uh, so in, in Maryland, we- it's like not a lot of discussion there because it's just basically you had like a, a nice winter jacket. But the further north you go, I think uh-huh. like uh, like Minnesota and Maine and like uh, and then I think whoa skiing, we've gotten from Maryland to Minnesota, big jump. Um, you know any of the ends, and then of course like if you were go skiing anywhere, like that is when I believe yeah. the layer tar- top layer talk starts right when you're yeah really because okay. you need to be consistently below. I'm gonna say. Say tw- say thirty degrees. I don't know what that is in Celsius, but like I don't know zero. I guess you know you need to be right around. You need to be consistently below zero Celsius, thirty two degrees, right uh, Fahrenheit. And then at that point, it does seem like yes. You when you're going outside, you need to be thinking how do I stay warm, and then how do I adjust myself? You regulate. Yeah. yeah. How do I go when I go to the office or when I go to wherever I'm going? I need to get comfortable again, right? So that's where I think the layers is because I think that's really but- about the point where. Um, like in Minnesota, for example, I've been in Minneapolis. It's like even like your pants, right? It's like if you just wear regular dress pants without anything underneath, like no, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. January, it's like that wind is so piercing. So I think that's kind yeah. of back to like where you have to have the layers. I'd say, you know, you know, I don't mid Atlantic region. That's really not an issue. You just put on jeans and yeah. a heavy coat and you, and you make it work. That's true. Cause it's still pretty warm. Okay. Well, well, we'll move on to the, the ostensible topic of this whole podcast enterprise we do here. But I think I think some interesting feedback from listeners, which you can include in um, any five star reviews that you want to leave in iTunes or anywhere, is like I my theory is that there's a certain point of of climates where everyone dresses in layers, but they don't talk about it because it's just like. Well, I think you have to like adjust from where you're coming from. Like as uh, just to double check here, 100 percent born and raised in Austin or was it Texas? That's right. Okay, no, so no, just Austin. So you're coming from what other people on this podcast like you're coming like I see this now with my son. He has been born and lived his entire life in Austin. So for for children, especially I think boys, like they wear shorts year round. That's like that's yes. it. That's all they yeah. wear and anything even a long sleeve shirt is a big deal. So if you're coming from and that's not possible like in even the Mid-Atlantic region and obvious other places. Like that's not possible. So you're coming from where pretty much when you grew up in your formative years, you could wear the same thing every day for, for decades, sure, sure. for like a couple yeah. decades. So your condition of like, I just put on one thing. I, I, I mean, you could like literally the same outfit if you wanted, right? Whatever you decided, yeah, yeah. if you're a shorts person, jeans person. So you're kind of coming out with a little bit of history, right? Whereas now other people are like, well, I'm just used to like getting a heavy jacket, layering up. It's just part of life, right? They don't even need totally. to think about it. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. you're just now kind of entering into that, right? You're that's, like, that's oh. What, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying is if that's the way you grew up, you don't even think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you don't even think about like it. But it. yeah, if you grew up in Texas, you're like, I mean, when I, as you know, uh, because you lived it and probably children, like when, okay, well, you've actually given up. We used to like insist on shorts below certain temperatures, but then it's just like, ah, it doesn't matter. He never wants to wear it. It's like, forget it. Yeah. You just give up. So, so yeah, with that mindset, I can see why it would be confusing. 
Yeah, that's how Cormac is. Shorts all the time. All right. So the 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 news I think that is most pertinent to uh, things going on is it looks like uh, Microsoft is rumored to buy Discord for ten billion dollars. Now, I've I've only used Discord like once, and I think it's basically like Slack except easier to log into. Like and <laughs> and it I think it's got like that BVS like ANSI colored right. stuff to it, and it has like a slightly different community. Well, maybe not slightly. I th- that would be an interesting exercise to talk about what the Slack community is, but like it seems to have a more open, less enterprisey community. And uh, I mean, I think you know, I'm sure there are some salient features of Discord that I'm missing, but it seems like it's you know at a high level just a Slack, and so like they already have that. So well, so I- is is. That's the big question here. I think the Microsoft being involved in this is is a big question because I think Discord, right, as you kind of talked about, more consumer focused, born in the gaming world, but it's clearly very very popular amongst probably like the younger generations, right? They've used it. I hear it all the time about college students, high school units, like starting Discords. Like like we would start Slacks for different companies or different projects. They're starting Discords. So I think, you know, why is it valuable, of course? Because I think we can always start with like, wait a minute, doesn't everyone have messaging? Of course, everyone has messaging, but Discord has a pretty large community of what would some people I think would say is a very desirable demographic, right? So I think that's why there's interest in it. Now, as you know, people have heard us talk about, I think we spent a whole episode proposing uh, you know, Zoom box cord, right? So we said, hey, it would make sense if Slack's gone that Zoom should buy Discord because we would like to have some integrated messaging. It seems like Zoom is very much millennial focused. Um, so Microsoft buying it, of course, there's like immediately millions of jokes around. In fact, there's a funny uh, video about Skype, uh, <laughs> the CEO of Skype. I'll just let the listener go watch it. It's in the nonsense section about um, the reaction of Skype to, to Zoom and his reaction. And I think you can see the same thing here. It's like they already have teams. Like why exactly is microsoft interested in this new demographic is it like part of xbox are they gonna you know are they gonna somehow segment it in some way are they gonna integrate it from teams i do think there's uh collectively though uh, a sense of internet uh the whole internet is scared that microsoft will buy this and, and mess it up right i, I think mm. i speak for the entire internet that that was the immediate reaction so i don't know like do you so can we be more positive here Kote? is there a reason that microsoft should should be in here buying this is anyone really going to be excited by this here's my now okay so i got a couple things going on and i'm going to do another name check of a dead person i finished listening to the susan sontag biography and i think i have this idea of 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 a tool that is in that that area of discourse and and now i'm going to mix it together i finally got the matt levine email list to send to me with that trick that i mentioned (laughs) So I read uh, his one recently, like kind of it was it was sort of his uh, sort of his like uh, thinking out loud about is it NFTs? Yeah, like he he, he concocts this sort of like this uh, uh, thought exercise where he's like, you know, in all these games, you can buy a funny digital hat for a certain amount of money that only is only good in that game. And you buy the funny hat and it seems like it's expensive, but you couldn't spend that money on anything else. And the point that he's making is that like. So when this uh, Malaysian person pays like six quatloons of Ethereum for like Jack's first tweet, it's, I mean, he, he doesn't exactly say this, but he's like, you know, it's not real money. 
Like it's just like it's just some in-game right. money for from this sort of game of the the wacky internet. So whatever. And then there was another NFT thing. I forget who uh, where this was from. But, you know, it was also just sort of making the point of, oh, I haven't read this one, but it's it's a point that we've all made of like, well, if you get a photograph of a painting or you get a uh, a print that an artist hasn't signed of their print, like, what are you really paying for? Like, what what, what are the what are these things that uh, that you're paying for? And I think in in a very similar way, or at least in my mind, maybe maybe what we're doing and this is, I think, where the Sontag comes in is like. We are looking at this in similar situations in the wrong way. We look at it from like a structural point of view. Like if you look at Discord, structurally, it does the same thing that a Slack does. And with one or two years of programming, you could get your team's people to make it exactly the same. Similarly, right? Like if we all just use Skype, we could do exactly the same thing that Zoom does. Also, like with a year's worth of programming, it could be exactly the same, right? So structurally, it's the same. But there's this other thing that's more the uh, the sort of like essence. We like to call it like community or brand <laughs> or something. Right? But there there's this other kind of not structural thing that is almost the more valuable thing that you're buying. So, for example, you know, in this case, I don't really know anything about Discord or uh, very much, but like. I would assume from what little I know that there is, as, as you were going over, there's this whole other separate set of people that have a brand association with it. They want to do it around gaming or just hanging out. And so a lot of what you're buying is sure the structural stuff, but it's not like, and this is, I think the fault that a lot of like, and myself included a lot of like M and a thinking people who think about tech M and a do is like, you're not, re- you're oftentimes you're not buying this widget to like fit into your missing widget area, you're buying it for like all the people that use that widget and what's going on with it. And so like, maybe it's sort of like, yeah, sure. If, and it's also just a rumor, so who knows, right? But it's like, yeah, so you're gonna buy Discord because you wanna buy into this like way of life and this community and this thing. Similarly, and then, and then I'll stop talking, right? Like when Microsoft bought LinkedIn, Like there's a lot of thinking about like, how does this fit into office and how does it fit into that? And I think what turned out with LinkedIn is just like, yeah, no, that's just its own thing. Like you just buy the thing and and you buy the community of everything around. Absolutely. I think it does seem like, I think we're being optimistic here. I think GitHub and LinkedIn are examples of good acquisitions by Microsoft. Mm. I don't think either, you know, other people, you know, listen to uh, Slack community can uh, chime in here. Tell us. If we're wrong, but like, I think generally those products and those sites have, you know, continued to be good. They continue to, I should say this way, they continue to do what they have done before, right? There isn't some, yes. you know, big, uh, you know, Microsoft clippy invasion where you're like, oh, what is this? Whereas Skype, I think much more checkered, right? It's like at some point Skype just kind of became unusable. So to your point about it, it's yeah, like, it just yeah. constantly updated. The audio quality was bad. Like everyone just, I think that's why people abandoned it, right? It just sort of. I don't know why. And I understand it's sort of taking shots there, right? It's like, well, maybe there's lots of reasons I don't understand. But uh, so I guess now as we kind of roll the ball forward, I just think I look at it more around, all right, well, maybe Microsoft wants access to this demographic. Fair enough. I don't necessarily understand why, like where they're trying to fit it in. Like what, like, are they trying to make those people become Teams users or like what, what does demographic, like what are they trying to sell to this demographic? That part I don't get. Um, But the thing I look at it more is just like, hey, I just want, 
more choices and more, better products. So I'm like Discord in the hands of, like for me as a consumer, I think Discord in the hands of Zoom, which we've already talked about, um, but some others would be interesting, right? It would be interesting as it'd be another competitor to the Teams, Slack, Zoom kind of productivity tools. So yeah, yeah. from my perspective, I just want them to do something more interesting than uh, go to Microsoft. And I don't know, maybe... Microsoft has grand plans that we just can't see. And to your point, maybe it's a rumor. Maybe this is a stocking horse for some type of larger deal that they're trying to, to get done. Um, yeah. But I don't know. As it stands now, it's definitely concerning. Yeah, I think maybe 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 to close out this little topic, I think as, as you know, so, someone in the chat is saying, the, the thing that, like, I mean, uh, at least from our perspective of being, like, you know, boring enterprise tech people is like the whole like xbox business and microsoft is always this strange i don't know what's up with that right like it's like uh it's it you know it'd be like if if for some reason i'm trying to think of it like if if ibm decided that they were going to be in like you know weather forecasting and you would just be like i don't know i i guess i like it like, I like the weather yeah. channel a little subtle yeah well played it's just like there's this one part of microsoft that like doesn't fit with the other parts like like you know from, from a kind of like strategic analysis now it's kind of sort of used to fit well i guess it fit a lot better when microsoft was like the dominant os system and like ruled your desktop right and Mm -hmm. like so it's a logic in the same way that like you know apple decides they want to do an apple tv thing and apple decides they want to do this like it we like it doesn't really grind that much in our mind but like microsoft in the consumer space is just like weird yeah it's definitely and yet and it's it's not weird that it's not feasible because clearly Xbox is a business, right? Like it's yeah. not it's just it just kind of doesn't fit in very well. It would be like finding out that like, you know, banana that that the gap company also owned like, you know, Smoothie King. <laughs> and and you would be like, I, I guess. Like yeah, those are not... probably two good businesses. Yeah, but... no, I think you're right. That's okay? the reaction. Um Well, I don't know. I I just think it comes back to like we've talked about it so much. Like I just I guess my dream that Zoom um, like to me, I feel like Zoom's market cap is so high. They have to do stuff. They have to go out and buy some stuff. I'm just convinced that yeah, yeah, that yeah. won't last. And I feel like, so Box is up for sale and of course Discord, right? I mean, these these seem, I mean, when I say reasonable, right? Remember, this is all fake money. Reasonable in the sense of like, well, you have this really valuable stock. These are good products. You should go pick them up. But I don't know. I, I do kind of come back to uh, the Zoom CEO, I guess maybe. And then he would just tell me, it's like, no, man, the Zoom business is 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 strong just by itself. We don't need to do anything different. Um, you know, if you will, multiple expansion, right? It's just like, it's always going to be worth this much money. But um, if I was in that corp dev partner I, uh, department, I just, every day I'd be walking in with like, we need to do this. We need to do this. Like we have to get stuff now before everything yeah, is, yeah. Uh, this is our moment to like solidify ourselves forever. And if we miss out, you know, we could, we could quickly become like uh, WebEx at Cisco or Blue Jeans or something else, right? I mean, so yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, if if uh, if if Box lo- is looking to get bought, like, I mean, that would be that would make. We've said this before, but that would be great for uh, for the Zoom. Do people. it, make it happen, Zoom people. Don't don't give up. Yeah. Don't don't let this uh, this rumor, you know, uh, prevent you from doing PowerPoint decks. Make sure the investment yeah. bankers get everything formatted correctly. Get over to the Zoom offices right away. Get yeah. that pitch book going. Then, 
I mean, we all use Slack, right? And you're just like, oh, just try harder, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> all right. So speaking of Slack, the big news on Slack this week is Slack Connect has now been widely distributed. I guess the big news was now anyone can Slack anyone else, you know, between Slacks. But the the problem that people have found is that you have to do like an invite, but the invite also includes uh, a custom message. So people are saying that is a potential harassment loophole. So it looks like oh. Slack is like rolling that back and they're going to make it like, you know how at first I have to send you an invite and then you have to accept it and then I can send you a message. So, so it seems like that seems to be like kind of the running narrative that like, Hey, they've left open this, this loophole for potential abuse. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of think to myself, like, is this just one of those like default issues? It's like, because I feel like in LinkedIn, tell, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like in LinkedIn, people can send you a message. Like when they send you yeah. like a, and then even in Skype, I, or, I don't know. I guess I have to go back and look at it in Skype. I don't know if you have to like accept it first. So well, um, you, there, there might be a setting in LinkedIn where you can turn this off, but it's been my experience that, I mean, it used to be that in LinkedIn, uh, well, I'm getting a lot of LinkedIn play here, but it, it used to be in LinkedIn, you could mostly only connect to people if you knew their email address. Like, don't right. you remember that? Yeah, yeah. You could set it and, so that and, you had to like accept it and you had to know something about them, and, right? But in, in past years, like when I've got, I've never had to do that in LinkedIn. Like the only friction I've ever had is on some people's profiles. There'll be a button that says connect and you can click on that. And sometimes that button doesn't show up and then you click on the three little dots and it's right there, right? And then right. you can also, it encourages you to add a note uh, when you connect to people so you can do that. So so there's that. But uh, so, so, okay, just to, basically it's that you can invite anyone in the world to come to your Slack. Or basically you can DM them is what the equivalent is, right? You can DM so you, anybody in the world. Right? If you're in one Slack, yes. you can DM anyone, anyone. Yes. in another Slack. Right. But this is what people are saying is like, hey, the, the immediate reaction was like, well, this is potential abuse and harassment. And then people said, and people, the thing that people are saying yeah. is because you can send unsolicited messages that include text. But Yes. So yeah. I think that's true, right? And I think this is definitely a miscalculation by Slack. It'd be Slack. like spam, basically. Right. At, and I think this is- best. This is one of those things, though, I do think it's like your heritage matters here. I don't know. Discord and some of the other ones I, I, I know less about, right? So I don't know what their uh-huh. kind of onboarding path is. But because I think Slack is generally considered a work tool, I think because it's going down and now it's like, well, anybody can, you know, it's going to be a generalized, if you will, messaging framework. I think because it's going that way and it's heritage is enterprise that there's more emphasis on, like, you should have better controls, Um to control yes. spam and control those issues. Whereas right, I think the consumer oriented side up, you like clubhouse, right? Clubhouse is sort of like reading all of your contacts and like doing questionable growth hacking techniques. But I, I don't know. We tend to use it or people like we've tried it. We, we kind of accept it if you will, or some of us have accepted that. So, yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah. That's a total, like they should have talked to like one, their own CISO and been like, so how about this? Uh, we, every employee can have, uh, anyone in the world, send them a clickable link. You cool with that? 
<laughs> like I, yeah, I think not good. that that would not. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think you know. Even the regional assistant to the you know sub sub regional CISO would think that was good. <laughs> Uh, so that doesn't really, I mean, they got, they got enough of that shit to deal with, with email. Yeah, that may, yeah, that it, and I mean, as always, when I think about critically in a negative way of things, like it's, I just am missing something, but like, that seems like one of those criticisms people have of Twitter of like, well, why don't that's an odd allocation of your time to like allow people to message each other. So I'm trying to, so if I'm in the VMware Slack, right. I could send a message to you in the software defined talk Slack. Yes. Yes. Well, I'd have to accept you first, I think, because you'd look like a different account to me, but yes, assuming I did, you would be able to do that. Hmm. But do we want it? I guess this is the, maybe this is the bigger thing. It's like, well, Slack wants to grow. Right. And it's like, we just talked about discord. Discord is clearly, popular yeah. with younger demographic i'd say this is one of the reasons slack is less popular with that demographic is it's more corporate it's kind of a different structure and you have to have, you know kind of so so is this their attempt to kind of like go down you know kind of if you will into like the educational millennial yeah collegiate yeah. market and then do we really want that i guess that's the other thing is like do we really want the need to right right to do no, this? I, I i mean that that's that's what i'm trying to say so i'm in the ebc here and my CISO has already asked that question. He's gone out for a smoke. He or she, they have gone out to have a cigarette. Uh, so, you know, they've left the room. And uh, now I'm thinking like, okay, that feature sounds cool. I didn't realize I had that problem. So now tell me what that problem is. Like, what, what, am, I, what am I trying to do here? Right. right? Like, like, I guess, I mean, I guess the assumption you would have to make is that Instant messaging no longer exists outside of the walled gardens of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Skype and Google Talk. I'm being a little absurdist here, but like (laughs) we don't have like if there are two people at an organization that want to communicate in a way other than email. That channel does not exist. That's right. Yeah. And so I think if you're Slack does. and if your stated goal of Slack is like, I want to replace email, right? You want, and you're kind of buying into like the chat ops or like, yes, we yes, want to be okay, a more dynamic okay, organization. Okay. Then you want to say like, well, okay, everyone, our standard operating way to communicate is through, you know, kind of this messaging framework. I think that's what Slack is saying. It's like, you're going to be a lot more, just like you're more productive. I'm, j- I'm just going to make the argument. I'm not saying it's true. If you're going to yes. say like, we've deployed Slack and we're more productive because we're in like a real time messaging um, framework and that really lets us communicate and solve problems better and you know, run the business better. Then you would say, yeah, and don't you want to do that with your partners and your and anybody that's anywhere? Yeah, and, yeah, and you yeah, don't want yeah. to wait for an email. And I do think this is a sneaky way back to the thing that we've often talked about would be maybe a sneaky way back into like shared calendaring, right? So like, okay, if you had Slack and everyone's you know chatting yeah, back yeah. and forth, okay. could I just okay. give you access to my calendar? And you could just, you know, make a, make a meeting request with me. That would be now, now we're talking now it's a problem I'm interested in hearing more about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is a secondary, this is, this is the, uh, the, the foot in the door thing where on the Slack side, you are, you are creating and, and having exclusive access to the social network of business which only Microsoft possesses in the form of LinkedIn at the moment. 
and also Microsoft possesses in the form of um, uh, Office. I mean, I guess Google has that too as well, right? Like, so so Google and Microsoft have these sort of like untapped, these kind of like latent networks of business stuff. And then, well, to be fair, like Salesforce and Oracle through their ERP stuff kind of sort of have it. Like Salesforce and Oracle have like, you know, they've got like the the social business network that people don't want, which is like people trying to sell me shit. Right. Like, so so they know that, but which is equally valuable, right? right like, right, you know, yep. however, once you layer in like GDPR and worrying about like the U.S. Congress, like, you know, making you talk to them, you can't really do much with that data outside of each customer. So you're severely limited versus with LinkedIn, you escape all that. So you can like you do whatever you want, I assume, with the the social graph the uh the business graph so yeah so slack starts to get in there and then they also like can talk about how they do messaging and to your point they're further eroding the dominance of email and uh and and then they don't have to say xmpp and <laughs> that's they're set right, that's right. well it's i do have like some i don't know if it's sympathy it's just i guess it's another example of like you know your default behavior at the beginning of these products you know it really creates impressions, right? Like, you know, go back to like the Facebook yes. newsfeed and um, there's just millions of examples of like, Hey, it was one way we've decided to make a change. Like going through that change is, is really the pain cave for any, any product people out yeah. there. It's like, I think eventually Slack figures this out. It'll become like a feature. We'll kind of move on and it is what it is, but like, you know, just rolling it out. It's just like, Hey man, people, do, it's just another example of we know people hate change. People don't want to think. And if you start making a fundamental change to your product, right. Even as much as Twitter's criticized, like any change that happens to Twitter, like people get very upset and it's like, yeah, I, I feel for those people. It's like, you want to push it forward, but there's going to be a lot of people telling you you're wrong as you kind of walk up that path. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean that, that Twitter is just gets it going both ways, right? Any change they make, everyone gets upset. And when they change nothing, everyone gets upset. Exactly. It's just like they, they, they got nothing going on. Uh, very difficult. Well, also, it looks like uh, AWS has a new leader, a new CEO. The uh, he's a, a former Tableau person, as I recall, right? Yeah. So, uh, former Tableau CEO, and then former to that, longtime tenure at Amazon. Looks like he was considered um, Jassy's, you know, right hand man for some period of time. So, I think this is, you know, basically just. Uh, I was surprised they went outside, but then I read more about it. I guess it does make sense. It's essentially, you know, Jassy bringing in, you know, his number two that he kind of helped build AWS with. And so I would think in this case, it's going to be business as usual at AWS, right? That he would be one of the people that completely understands the AWS culture and will probably run it in almost the identical way as Jassy, which I think, you know, I was thinking about like culture and things like that. It's like, that makes sense, right? If you have what you want and you're not looking for a lot of change, it seems like, Jassy really was embodied what Bezos thought. And so him moving up makes sense. And then Jassy kind of replacing himself with the same kind of person. Um, if you think things are working perfectly or working really well in your organization, I think that's what you would do. So it seems like a smart hire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when, when you're rowing, to rowing towards that, uh, that mountain of free gold, I think, I think when you switch out rowers, you keep going the same direction. That's generally, I think that's uh, considered a good strategy. Uh, to to follow, so I, I guess I don't know, I I don't know that that much about the uh, the individuals. There's, I, I remember back when I did the uh, big study of business intelligence, Tableau 
was considered pretty awesome. Have you used Tableau recently? No, I mean, unfortunately, I used it several years ago, loved it. I've just never been in a place where I could get a license, right, over time. Uh, it's, it's always told that uh, the licenses I end up having are uh, Microsoft Business Objects or Excel. Like, that's what, I mean, those are the data analyst tools that I actually get to use. So when I've used are Tableau... They, are they good? I mean, listen, they are what they are. What they are. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm getting better every day. I watched an investment banker video. I get a little bit better at Excel. So... uh but I, I don't know. Like I, you know, this is the thing about like, you just, I've not been in a place in a very long time. In fact, when I first ta- saw Tableau, I showed it to some people and, uh, the analytics person was like, we'll never be able to pay for this ever. And I just like, and then like a year later I was leaving the company and, uh, he sent me, he sent me a note. He's like, this thing is awesome. I just showed it to our CEO. It's great. And it's like, it was kind of the classic digital transformation. It's like, it just takes so long. Um, so yeah, I think Tableau is probably still great. I just, I wish I could use it. I haven't, so I don't, yeah. I don't know. It, it was, it's, I mean, I think it is still much. I fun. think it's, you know, I will say this. I think Salesforce and Tableau, and it's interesting now that obviously Tableau is bought by Salesforce. The number one problem is they license their products by uh, users, right? Therefore, there's an incentive to keep the number of users down, to like limit it to only so-and-so people who needs it. But frankly, Everyone in the company, I think, really needs access to Salesforce. So you can just see what's going on. Right? You see, like, we'll see what's happening in the deal, right? And like, if, yep. uh, and then same thing with Tableau. It's like, who doesn't, you know, I don't think you'd ever, most companies won't say nobody here needs Excel, right? They do a deal that's like, well, everybody just gets it. It's like, just sort of like, you have to have it. So that's my, uh, my belief is that if Salesforce and Tableau could come up with some licensing model where it's like, no, we want everyone in your company to be using it. That's how you get the most value. And we're going to price it in a way that makes sense. I, I think the usage of those tools could go up, I think, you know, exponentially. I, I think we let, let's, let's just explore this a little bit. I think we've hit upon a good escape valve for all the like uh, monopoly antitrust confusion in the tech world at the moment. Right. So, so cla- the classically, the the issue with antitrust discussions in the tech world is that it's it's increasingly hard to prove that there is uh what is antitrust i mean basically american antitrust is like something happens in a market so that prices are artificially high and the consumer is screwed right so that you encounter an issue if if what if the consumer is paying nothing it's hard to establish some kind of trust thing and then you go through all sorts of acrobatics to be like, oh, the customer is actually advertisers and they're getting squeezed out and whatever, right? Or, you know, this certain uh, social media company caused, you know, four years of chaos and destruction in the United States or helped contribute to it, whatever. So you got an issue here, but maybe, maybe the angle we have on the, the uh, uh, it's not consumers that we need to pay attention to, but seats, as you just outlaid, right? So the issue is not so much that uh, the prices are high, it's that not enough people have access to this stuff because, you know, you don't you haven't achieved whatever. Right. So in the case of Microsoft, I'm not sure this is going anywhere now that I'm listening to myself talking about it. But in the case of Microsoft, they can just give a license for Office to everyone. Right. Because their volume is so high that it doesn't matter, which seems like a monopolistic antitrust thing. Right. That you would be in such a position. But in fact, it's great. And instead, if you structure your pricing such that, like, as often encounters with me, I'm like, oh, hey, could I do that? And the people are people are like, oh, it's charged per seat and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. 
right? It's just, it's just sort of like it's right. You just give up. There's nothing you can do, tool. right? And you don't have right. the power. So, you can't. Not, you can't. There's even if you wanted to, you can't buy it yourself. There's no way to get it, right? You just right. You're so, done. so I th- maybe what we need is some pricing that would compel application sellers to make it more available to people, so that I can use the software without having to figure out how to file a PO. Yeah, no, I, I think it's as easy as like if I was, you know, uh, running in a Tableau, of course, they have all the data they have. They can do the analysis themselves. They've got great tools. We'd be like, OK, take the average price per customer and, and the number of seats. Right. And then actually go look at the size of the companies. Right. And then figure yeah. out a way to listen, I'm going to do a deal with them. Right. That if they buy a certain volume. Right. They're basically going to pay the same amount to get access, but get access for everyone. And I'm going to I'm going to arm my sellers with. Just what I was saying before, like you walk in with a, a pitch deck that's like, hey, the value of Salesforce is it's the life run of the company. Everyone needs to have access. And you can say most people have read access. That's fine, too. We don't want everyone messing up sure. their opportunities. And everyone would be like, fine, right? Or include, you know, include a number of read-only access licenses in most cases. I think you do the same thing with Tableau because you don't generally need all the features, right? Like, you know, I just want to be able to, and Salesforce is a great example. I just want to be able to read Salesforce myself because what happens if you go to most large companies, I don't think I'm breaking any news here is somebody has been like, has what you, what you do is you get to the Salesforce admin. You said, listen, I need you to run an export of all the opportunities every Friday night. And then you put that in a CSV, right? And then somebody gets really good and they create an incredible pivot table, a pivot table that, that, that basically rebuilds Tableau inside Excel. And you're like, I mean, there's so many rows and pivots. You're like, it's hard. Like you, someone has to train you on how to use the pivot table, right? That's the kind of level of thing you get to. And then that's the pivot table is become like how everybody else in the company accesses Salesforce through the pivot table. And it's like, but you have this interface, like, why don't we use that? Right. So, so they could do it and people find a workaround. So I, I believe in Salesforce. Hopefully somebody over there in the licensing will crunch the numbers. We're all going to get read access to Tableau and Salesforce. It's going to be great next year. You, you know, do, do you think, I haven't followed this, but you know, in the, uh, uh, in the software development, agile, DevOps, whatever world, there's always a lot of conversation about uh, local optimizing versus the end-to-end thing and all sorts of like devious things people will do to locally optimize. Although you know, to the to the optimistic credit of that uh, that software com- you know software development world, they're not really very cynical anymore. I always feel like I'm like the real asshole showing up being cynical for stuff, but whatever. But there must be uh, an ongoing like thought lording and ladying discussion in the business intelligence community about what you were just talking about, like people hoarding, not just hoarding the the data, but like enforcing their view of reality based on the reports that they generate and like establishing that like we are going to report on things in this way and therefore if i control the reporting i control your perception of reality and the compensation and rewards that my group gets versus the the rest of the organization right and so this must there must be some kind of in the same way that in the software development world there's an any pattern of people specializing in one part of your application or doing like the heroics where it's like you know i forget the name of the person in the phoenix project there's like the one person who fixes the production problems all the time right and then it turns out that those heroes so to speak are actually the problem 
And there must be that similar thing when it comes to like business intelligence and data reporting, where you're hunting around for what's wrong. And it's like, oh, well, for three years, Jerry over there has <laughs> like him and his team have controlled or I shouldn't say him. They and their team have controlled like, you know, the way that we see reality. And it turns out that Jerry's team is always doing great. And yet somehow this company is bankrupt. Yeah. Like and so like. They, they've controlled the uh, the dashboards and so yeah no totally are, listen uh, i think one up. of the most under discussed items in all of digital transformation or company organization is finance like i don't think people truly understand how much the financial model of a company from how it reports its revenue when it reports its revenue the way it does does budgeting that is the single biggest thing that will define your culture and your organization yeah. Without like, yeah. and you probably don't even know it. Like you're probably in these meetings with very senior executives who will be ex- talking about new ideas and they'll be talking about new organizations and, you know, on and on and on. But eventually the budget for usually the, in the next year needs to be set. And let me tell you, that budgeting process has unlikely has not changed very much. And it determines how you plan your activities, how you get money. And even, I mean, all the way up to the CEO, in many cases, they are either unwilling or simply cannot change it, right? Because they will get so much resistance. Like, hey, we've been reporting to Wall Street this way for many years. The investors understand it. The We don't want to mess that up. We've already given guidance. We can't change the product lines because the product lines require guidance. And you're like, before you know it, like, you know, it's, it's always back to like culture. It's like, who's really defining the culture? And even a large company with a very, very powerful chief executive is like many times the finance group like they can't change that either. Right. That, that structure and that dictates yeah, and, that, and people yeah. think it doesn't flow down. And it's like, it does flow down because if you're down there and you're trying to implement a, an agile based team to roll out new features, it's like at the end of the day, you still got a budget by the quarter. You got to tell them how many people you want and approximately how much money that's going to cost. And that's going to roll you back into some kind of waterfall type feeling, no matter what you do. And you're not, and then, and if you don't adhere to that, you either won't have resources or you won't be there very long. So finance, an incredibly powerful, almost the quiet giant of uh, the cultural revolution, right? Inside corporations is yeah. is finance, you know, master of the coin if you're into a Game of Thrones. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is uh, one of the, the, the topics of my second O'Reilly report, the business right. bottleneck. Well, good. Well, we should uh, the link in here. I, Everyone needs to read I don't it. Think I, I don't think I resolved it very well. But listen, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give uh, the listeners a secret thing. If you don't want to legion yourself into a Tableau Salesforce uh, Discordian box, uh, what you can do is if you go to cote.io slash downloads, you can just download the PDF directly. Of the uh, the two oh, little app. secret, don't, little don't secret for everyone. Me. All right, coache.io download. But yeah, huh? yeah. I I mean, I I think those of us at uh, at at software vendors who've been at software vendors for decades over the years, we all have stories about how you couldn't actually like uh, sell something because someone forgot to open a ticket to create a SKU in SAP, or you know, like because of like you know, I don't know. There's this word people throw about called uh, I hear every now and then uh, entitlement which I feel like is some sort of like financial <laughs> shenanigans. And it's just, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm out. I, it was just whatever you need. Just, that's cool. Just do it. I, I, yeah. I got to go do a little two minute and 20 second video. So <laughs> sounds good. But yeah, it is a, uh, that's, that's a hassle. Well, okay. So the last thing I think we should touch on Brandon, because it's one of our favorite topics. It's not about calendaring. 
which would also be good. I, I like, I'm going to have to think about, I'm going to sleep on this idea of, of what is Slack's calendaring situation? Cause they're going to, they're going to need to get into that. And I, I certainly hope we don't create a, a channel per a meeting schedule oh. coordination that, that could come up at some point. Uh, anyhow, so there was, uh, I didn't go read the article, but Ezra Klein, now of the New York Times, he, uh, he excerpted, uh, I don't know, is this a conspiracy theory? A theory about why Google Reader went away, which I think, you know, essentially the theory was that at the time, and this was in, uh, I think, 1952, I think when they shut down Google Reader, <laughs> I, I think that... <laughs> Like everyone right was after trying... color TV came out. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were like that, that Lucy had it. Lucy and Ricky had a good run. Let's, uh, let's shuffle into something else. Uh, but you know, I, I think that was around the time when everyone was trying to foist up their, their walled gardens of things. And sure, like, uh, RSS by its nature and, uh, you know, something like Google reader doesn't really lend to, uh, walled gardens it's it's almost it's almost anti that now i think i think that's a good theory on the other hand there are still plenty of other rss readers out there i use one right and i have i have since then and many other people yeah well i think there are like two schools so maybe it's just like the the marketing heft yeah no i was gonna say two schools of thought on why google reader ultimately died one is rss and the nature of google readers just it's a it's too complicated, too niche, even though many of the people listening to the show would like it. It just ultimately doesn't have mainstream reach. People just that's not the way that mainstream people want to consume information. So I think that's generally considered the reason. And then this uh, article that I guess it was Kevin Drum wrote about it. And he said you know, his point was that ultimately RSS is. Uh, a version of the decentralized web that is kind of implicitly a threat to anybody like Google, uh, Facebook, or anyone that's sort of, if you will, trying to make money off attention, right? If you sever the link between deliver content to me, but deliver it, if you will, in a syndicated fashion where I minimize the amount of information I'm telling you about myself that um, Facebook, Google's, and others Right. They're just no, that that is inherently a, a business risk to them. So that's kind of what the point was like, well, that's why they got rid of Google Reader. And then and, you know, and I guess you could say going one step further, you could say that any company that has come close to like figuring out any way to, if you will, um, make money off you know, RSS or things like that, they either get bought, they either fail, which and then they're no longer a threat or they get big enough that it gets absorbed by one mm-hmm. of these large corporations. Right. Most of the RSS readers. Um, eventually got, you know, snapped up, right? They got bought, like Blog Lines was one that was really popular, bought by Ask Jeeves. So now we're like way back in time talking about that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's a bunch of others. So so I think as long as it lives on in this like, very niche community, I don't know which one you're using, it's probably fine. People are probably fine with it. But but the newsletter, I think the newsletter kind of um, uh, sub-stack revolution, right? Like that really was RSS. Like if you go back in time, like that's kind of the same thing, right? It's the idea that- yep. Um, and people were sort of doing private RSS feeds and all that kind of stuff. So it, I don't know if anyone will ever touch it again. Like if maybe the newsletter is just the way to do it, everyone wants to own the inbox, but, 
Um, I already get too many newsletters, so I would love, and maybe I can do it. I just haven't found a way. Like, I'd love to like push all my newsletters back into an RSS reader and, and be fine. I'd be fine with private feeds or I have to sign up or authenticate. Like I'm okay with that. Um, but no one's figured it out. So, uh, so it will be interesting. Like, does anyone make a run at it? Cause you know, there are no new ideas. So like somebody out there is probably thinking about it. And then two, if they're getting traction, does one of the behemoths come in and snap them up real fast? Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I like I mentioned, uh, my my son Cormac likes to read the National Geographic. So so we're we're back to using the uh, the Apple News Plus, and like so many Apple products, they're just so close. Like just yeah. just they're almost there, yeah. right? Like all all they have to do is like I think I think the 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 news app, the Apple News app, is an example of one of those things where like where you know. Despite how much I would like it, the defaults lifestyle is going too far, right? It's like, I feel like I want to say, and you can almost do this, but like, I just, I want to read these magazines and I just want you to have a reverse chronological listing of every article and tell me when I've seen them, which is an RSS reader. And just like, that's all I want. Like, you don't need to like suggest other stuff to me and, and like, and you know, there's very simple things in there to to the point of like you know uh, uh, crafting how you read things. Like I'll be reading an article and I'm midway through it, and then I come back two days later and it doesn't know where I was reading it. You know, well, just, I think it's that, and it's just so like just, close. They so just close. can't quite get like in music. There was this point where they got um, several of the music services. They got all the basically all the music in one place, right? And it's just like you know, you still have the major publications that just won't. They won't sync up, right? They just, there's no incentive for them to go on Apple news. They want to continue to have their separate things. So that means you got, you know, depending on what you, which ones, you know, you're subscribing to, it's like, you probably got two or three apps on your phone. You got two or three different notifications and it's just, it's just closer. You're just like, yeah, no, I want this content. I'm already paying for it. I'm signed up for like in my subscription budget, I picked out a couple uh, sources that I really like. And it's just like, it just, you just can't get them all in one place. It just won't happen. They won't give you RSS and they won't so put close. you in Apple news. Right. You're just like, you just yeah. can't do it. It's a, it's like, there was this one time, maybe 10 years ago where I think, I think, was it Flipbook? There was this app called Flipbook. Yeah, Flipbook yep. And it would, it would actually interface with whatever your, maybe like it was Twitter, even Google reader, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but it would, it would hook up to whatever your RSS backend was. And it would allow you to flip through all your RSS feeds with all the other stuff. And it was, it that was like the, that was the apex, the zenith. <laughs> Everything was great. And then they dropped that support and then it just like, you know, became crap at some point. Just, boy, these are, these are tough problems. We're solving these are good today. days. So, well, I think if nothing else, there's hope out there. Hey, there are problems to be solved, right? Hey, someone listening to this is smart enough to figure it out, figure it out, solve those problems. You'll make a ton of money. And I'm sure Amazon has something, but you probably have to like, you know, use it on a screen in your closet <laughs> instead of just like using it on, yeah, using it on your whatever. Anyways, well, uh, th- there's a few conferences coming up. Uh, I've got uh, over here in Tanzu land, we've got spring one coming up September 1st and 2nd. The CFP is still open. You should submit something to it. It'd be great. Now we've got like, there's like three different things, little conferences. We've got one in Europe coming up that I'm going to be speaking at on the, uh, the 28th. And there's another one also in Europe on the 27th wow. that I'll be speaking Look at. at. You. So there's two days that you could come get your fill of, uh, of VMware, Tanzu, cloud natives, all that kind of exciting stuff. Um, now hold on. 
was that not enough? Also, we've we've got one of these uh, these things we call an event, which means it doesn't. It's got a bunch of speakers posted. We don't really talk about what the agenda is going to be, what's going on there, other than that it's going to be awesome. Ooh, Tanzu up close. Oh, okay. But on March thirty first, yeah. and March thirty first, we've got a, a a little a little event going on. You can check that out. All of these are free to attend. And if you go to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash two ninety one, you can find links to them. There's also a Cloud Native Rust Day. You can uh, check out if you're into uh, events there, things like that. Well, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy to go over? A little bit. We uh, A couple people uh, wrote in this week, so I sent stickers to Jonathan Australia. Uh, he's putting uh, stickers on his new phone, and uh, I wanted to tell him, and yes, the stickers will help make Kubernetes run better. So everyone, that's uh, that's guaranteed. So that's everyone, true. if you need stickers, to, if you need Kubernetes to run better, uh, definitely stickers. Also, I sent Stan- Shane some stickers in Australia. And then finally, uh, Robert, he wrote in, uh, he's in the UK and, uh, he's getting a new work laptop. So good for him, but he needs new stickers to put on that laptop. And actually he sent in a, a nice picture of his laptop. So you go to the software defined talk Instagram, you want to see like a very, uh, a software defined talk sticker along with a bunch of other stickers. I think that laptop was well done. Did, you know, I always like to see how people are putting the stickers on there. So. If you would like stickers, all you have to do is email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you stickers anywhere in the world. Well, that's good to hear. You know, I think I might be up for a uh, laptop refresh, but I think I still have a stack of stickers somewhere, but maybe I need some more. I, w- I was thinking, you know, uh, uh, maybe I've, I've, I've thought of something here, you know, uh, I've only experienced two thefts associated with bikes here in Amsterdam. And I think what you got to do is you've got to like find some place on your bike or your items where you put like a a secret thing that is identifiable to you. Right. And like, you know, the software defined talk stickers are kind of good for that, but someone could peel it off or paint over it, but it might be good. You've got to like etch your name. Maybe just like under the seat, someplace where it's not obvious. Right. You know, just some kind of, you have to find a little place, you know? Yeah, so you could use it for that, right? Although that's not going to help us. What am I saying? I don't want. I want it prominent, like right on the handlebar. That's where it needs to go. What am I? <laughs> well, am I, saying? I mean, I mean, I mean, you can get multiple. Of yeah, them. yeah. Of course, we'll give you as many as you want. So you put one under the seat. That's your secret identifier. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. uh, you put you put the rest of them on the handlebars, wherever else, you know, fenders, whatever you got. Yeah, that's what yeah. we need. That's right. Put them on the fenders for the offenders, so you can get your bike back. Well, uh, what do you have to recommend this week, Brandon? Well, um, we talked a little bit about software applications. And so I recently bought a Pixel Mater Pro. And um, I am not someone that has ever taken the leap into Photoshop. So I was looking for something pretty simple. And I was actually looking for a one-time fee. Go, Dave, I'm honest. Like, I didn't want to go with uh, Adobe Creative Cloud license because I'm not someone that does a lot of stuff with photos and images. But I finally just figured out that like in my workflow preview, which is a fantastic app in, in Mac, right? Of course, it's the number one thing. But if you pay just a little bit of money, I got a lot more features for doing like some cropping and for um, cleaning up, if you will, images for PowerPoints and just life in general. So uh, it has tons of features in there, tons of stuff that I, I don't actually know how to use. But I think if you're looking for an entry point that isn't Photoshop, isn't you're not ready to sign up for Creative Cloud, you're looking to spend $50, I think uh, Pixelator Pro is a perfect uh, uh, solution. This is, I think, only Mac only. So, you know, if you don't have a Mac, that's, mm. you're out of luck. But I think it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And then I threw in uh, one other utility that I've used for years as well, Snagit. 
just a really simple uh, screenshot utility. I know you can do it all, all the screenshots just with the hotkeys and stuff, but like, I don't know. I've just, this has become part of my workflow, Snagit. So I got Snagit for screenshots, got Pixelator Pro for some basic image and editing. And, you know, um, that of course goes and helps make my PowerPoints that much better. So check those oh, tools yeah. out if you're interested. I think, I think that that's pretty solid right there. The last part really cinches it. Cause I think, I think what you'll find if you do a lot of presentations is eventually you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about screenshots. Like you're going to, you and, and like, I don't know when I pick this up, but like, you know, when I'm setting up a machine, I got to go set where the screenshots are sh- saved. I got to yes. do my hotkey for the screen versus the selected screen. Now, when you do your screenshot, do you want it instantly put to the clipboard? Because you know that nine times out of 10, whenever you do a screenshot, you're going to immediately paste it into something. So why not just excel? So yeah. Yeah. You know, you got, I, I use, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to that set app thing. And what do I use? I use some screenshot thing they have. I don't even remember the name, but it's great. It's like, you know, snap my screen. But, well, it really uh, is, you know, it's funny and the workflow of all of this, I think cropping and it's like, you can do a lot of uh, cropping in both PowerPoint and a lot of cropping in preview, but like, there's just this missing set of features around cropping that like, in this case, like, I mean, it's almost funny. I spent $50. I'm like, I really love the cropping options, which I know is like when I, when people hear but that, that that's what you're going to spend your life. I on. know, but people like hear that and they think that's insane. And of course, even pixel meter pro, they, the people be like, what about all the drop shadow and the colors? And I'd be like, I like those features. Of course they're really good, but like the ability to crop in a lots of different ways and exactly the way I want it is incredibly valuable to me. It's worth $50. Yeah, yeah. So check it out. You, you know, I, I use several of the, uh, cause we got a license speaking of seats at VMware. So I, I have a creative suite license and I use lots of tools and boy, the remove background functionality oh. they have in their tools, mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is, that's one of those things, you know, a couple episodes I w- back, I was like the community, you know, the, the, the vendor community, if they really wanted to help humanity, they would just solve like two FA or whatever, right? <laughs> they could just get together and just solve the problem or whatever it was I was talking about. And like, there's another community where it's just like, just make it so you can remove backgrounds. Like, I think that would advance humanity, yes. like maybe in a very minor way. But I think every day, well, at least once a week, I think most everyone who uses a computer would like to remove the background of a photo. It's just like it's going to come up. And you know, it is. It definitely that, is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my recommendation, I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's uh, so much a, a recommendation as, as so much as it is some recommendation of something to try out. So. I, I uh, in addition to to listening to the biography of, of of the aforementioned person, I came across that she has several of her uh, journals or diaries published, and I found a uh, I got a PDF version of one of them, and so I've been reading the PDF uh, on my iPad, and it's just like delightful to like read a book laid out as a book. <laughs> now it's it's very limiting, right? Because you read it. I read all my books on. Uh, pretty much all on a Kindle. You read it on a Kindle and you can read it at night, you know, it formats around, but like, there's something interesting to having like a PDF on a big iPad, just like laid out like a book is, and you can write on it with your pencil. And it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a different type of enjoyment than just reading a, uh, you know, plain text thing that streams around there. So the next chance you get, I recommend trying to get the PDF version of a book, right. And just, uh, read it that way. See how you like that. It's it'll it'd be enjoyable. So with that, 
This has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, including a tremendous amount of links that people in uh, over in the Slack and have, have gathered together and that Brandon has curated into the show notes, we have got all sorts of links we didn't cover. Lots of nonsense this week. But you could go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 291 to find those show notes. And you can also find out how to uh, join the aforementioned Slack, do sorts of other stuff over there. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Just thanks for everyone hanging out. Oh, we should say, we'll give a little, hey, uh, we did have a nice milestone here in Software Defined Talk. We went over a million downloads on, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. on this on our current hosting provider. I don't know, like... I really don't know how many downloads we've had. I guess we've passed that a long time ago, but we saw a number. We actually saw on a dashboard it rolled over a million. So we'll just, that was very exciting. Whoa. So, uh, you know, yes. if you're into round numbers, you know, base 10 round numbers, uh, which I guess all of us are. So thanks to all of the streamers for watching us. That's been, that was a nice milestone for us. I enjoyed it.